Hello, and welcome to the first official episode of the 25th Hour Ideas Podcast, this time complete with theme music. My name is Michael Gallagher, and my goal is to help generate thoughtful discussion centered around the intersection of economics, finance, and sports. Every other week, you'll be a part of insightful conversations with experts who are passionate about learning and thinking outside the box. Without further ado, let me tell you about today's guest. He's someone I've had the great pleasure of working with and learning from, Kaveh Akbari. Kaveh, a certified NFL player agent and expert marketer, is currently building his own agency while working as a creative consultant. So, let's jump right in. As a certified NFL player agent, what are your thoughts on players in the NFL representing themselves in for signing contracts, marketing deals, all that kind of stuff? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a good question. I uh, I don't have a problem with it. Honestly, if someone's able to negotiate their deal and feel comfortable without an agent being part of that process, that's perfectly fine. I just don't think it's it's just not applicable for every player in the NFL. You know, the the contracts structurally are more complex than what you would see in the NBA. So I really have no problem with it. I think guy like, for example, you know, this just made headlines with DeAndre Hopkins. He obviously has a team of people that are helping him on the back end. Uh, negotiate that deal, that deal, and get the numbers in place. But I, I think, listen, it's if it's a healthy trend, I'm all for it. If if it's about player empowerment, I'm all for it. But I also know that there is a need for agents to be part of that process for the majority of players in the NFL. So that's just my quick take on it. I, you know, DeAndre did a great job. His team did a great job. And if he didn't think that an agent was necessary um, in that process, that's perfectly fine. Exactly. Like my understanding is that there's a difference, kind of between having an agent sort of take care of this like all-in-one kind of package which is what i think the way a lot of players go or you could do sort of a piecemeal approach where you know you have like a a lawyer read over your contract you have a a marketing guy for your marketing stuff is that something that's more applicable to sort of a guy in deandre hopkins position as a a veteran big name brand player or is is, do you think it's going to be something that trickles down to guys on their rookie deals how would you how would you categorize this well i think it's already started somewhat on the rookie deals you know that started first and then i think it it's like high school football you know all the all the innovation that we're seeing in football that's kind of like a trickle up approach rather than this trickle down from innovation in the nfl and kind of spreading out through through college and getting to the into high school football i think it's the opposite you know it starts in high school that's where the innovation and creativity happens and it goes up to college and then it, it eventually hits the NFL. I think it's the same way with some of these contracts. You know, it started in the rookie deals uh, where there isn't there that much to negotiate, quite frankly. You know, so there's some language. There's offsets that you need to negotiate at times. Um, percentages guaranteed, but typically they're pretty straightforward. And the team typically has more leverage than the actual than the player, um, depending on where they're getting drafted. So I think a guy like DeAndre, like you said, it is pretty unique. They obviously had lawyers take a look at this. You know, I don't know for sure. You know, I have a friend who's his marketing agent and I haven't really spoken in depth about that particular deal, but you know, you'd assume that there are lawyers involved and there's people on the finance side that are, that are involved and uh, some football people too. You never know if they're hiring someone on the consulting side um, to help them structure that deal accordingly. So again, like if it, if it's a, if it's a good fit for the particular athlete to do something like that, I'm again, I'm all for it. I think it's, I think it's healthy. The more player empowerment that we have within the NFL, again, is is healthy because players are going to have more leverage. So if it's the right 
move to make on DeAndre's side, then I think it's I think it's good. I think it's healthy for players to be able to explore those options. And and from what I hear, he has aspirations of being a general manager sometime after he's done playing. So that just uh, adds more competition that I've got to look out for. <laughs> right. And then, dude, like, listen, at the end of the day, not not everyone wants to be a GM, right? Not every NFL player wants to be a GM. So this could have been a really good piece for him to kind of learn how to take care of these deals himself and really understand the CBA and prepare himself for life after football. But not every guy's like that, you know, and, and some people want the, the level of expertise that an agent has and the relationships that an agent may have. And also that, you know, sometimes you need a buffer between the player and, and the team. It's not always the easiest conversations. So I think, again, it's healthy for a player if they feel comfortable doing something like this to do what DeAndre did. But again, I don't think it's going to be this, this trend that's taking over the NFL. I think we'll see a handful of guys do it and they'll be successful in doing it, but it's not its not for everybody. Because from what I understand from the economic concept of comparative advantage, it seems like in most cases it makes the most sense for in terms of allocating time to let someone like yourself allocate your time to activities you have a comparative advantage in doing, such as like everything an agent would take care of, that frees up more time for players to focus on getting better on the field and taking care of other things off the field, maybe yeah. not marketing or contract related, unless that's something they're very interested in, like right. uh, like DeAndre Hopkins. Switching no, we could, to I the- mean, we could, we could still talk about DeAndre. This, this is what I'll say about DeAndre's situation. And I agree with you if we're talking about, you know, if we're talking about how players want to structure their time and, 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 and the economics of what a player's market value is, it's basic economics, dude. It's supply and demand and it's market value. So I don't think it's, it doesn't take a genius, like as many, as much as like all these NFL agents and a lot of these power broker agents want to say, listen, I've negotiated Billions, like a billion dollar worth of deals or hundred millions of dollar worth of deals. It's not overly complex. It takes basic economics and you understand market value of who the player is that you're representing. DeAndre clearly understood what his market value was. If DeAndre wanted to spend his time doing that, I think it's it's healthy and I think it's good. And I think he set a, 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 a honestly a good precedent. I don't think it's I don't think there's I'm not threatened by this at all. However, what I do why I, I also find this very healthy in, in a couple. In a couple of different in a couple of different ways. One, the the role of an agent has changed. I think the days of where we're just doing your contract and there's no relationship outside of doing the deal itself is over. I think the role of an agent is incredibly complex nowadays. I think you have to provide value on several different fronts, which includes marketing. You have to be under. You have to fully really understand what's going on in their marketing business. Understand the marketing ecosystem. Understand where the world is going globally understand how to be able to provide value for life after football, provide value while they're playing the game of football, really having an all-encompassing approach. That, I believe, is where the business is going. If you can't do that, you're kind of a dinosaur. So if you are threatened by a guy like, if you are an agent and you're threatened by a guy like DeAndre doing his own deal, then I think you need to adapt because this business is all about change, man. It's like college football was a few years ago. Like if you're not innovating and you're not changing, um, you're going to be left behind. So it's the same thing with, with the contract business. If you're not innovating your business and how you're approaching the business, then you're going to be left behind pretty quickly. So you have to figure out ways to adapt and be able to add value on several different sides for the client. You took the words out of my mouth there because I was going to mention like the sort of the ways I've seen you personally add value, whether people like people you were representing had interest in politics or other areas, you'd be trying to set them up with internships while they were still playing 
in politics, maybe with with a mayor or some other some other right. avenue where you're sort of aligning their post playing career incentives their, or their their post career aspirations with current opportunities. Right, right. And dude, it's creating structure, right? And doing that in, in a structured form. So not just saying, hey, well, we're going out and we're, we can get you an internship with this at the mayor's office. Well, we're going to have a mentorship program. We're going to figure out what you want to do with life after football. And we're going to first develop a business background for you, personal finance foundation for you. And then from there, we figure out what you want to do exactly. And we really create these internship and externship opportunities to really create a network for life after football. And we're doing this every off season. And and it's a really, it's a, it's a structured program for these guys to have an understanding of, okay, like if this is what I want to do, here are the people that I need to learn from. And here's how I get where I want to go. And again, like I think DeAndre in his case, he's doing a great job of doing that. He wants to be a GM. I didn't know he wanted to be a GM to be honest. So this makes a ton of sense. And I think it was the right move for him. Do trends like this maybe change the frequency with which you sort of have to communicate with clients and know exactly sort of what their interests are? Like, do you, do you feel like you have to know not only more about who you're representing, but sort of stay more in constant contact with them to sort of keep all these things um, progressing at the same time? Yeah, dude, for sure. And, and but that's just like, it, it comes natural for some people, but this is a people's business. If you're, an, if you're an agent, if you don't know what your client wants to do, or you haven't had a conversation, a conversation with them about it off, off the rip while you're recruiting them, if you're not, if you don't know what they, what their interests are, what their goals are, what their dreams are, what their fears are, then I don't know. I just don't think you're doing your job. I, you know, cause some of us don't even know what our own plans are down the road. <laughs> but at least you're having that conversation, right? Let's say like, someone's like, well, okay. And I've had those conversations. Someone doesn't know exactly what they want to do yet, which is fine. Like, dude, you're 22. It's okay. Not everyone is in that position. And you, you do, right? You want to play football, but you, everybody has several interests outside of football, whether it's gaming, photography, another sport, whatever it may be. If they have some sort of interest in something, you develop a program to really be able to take that off the ground. For example, gaming, you got to create a program in which they're they're working and and meeting people in the gaming industry and and they're also setting up Twitch channels and you're creating a real brand for them outside of, outside of football itself um within that ecosystem some football players you know turn to a career in wrestling after playing or even you know in Gronk's case maybe while playing being the 24/7 champion yeah i don't really know much about it. so what's going on with the WWE what's happening in, there, dude in, in like general or of, their relationship of- with football no, in general, like I, I feel like there isn't. How's the star power in the WWE right now? Uh, coming my my own personal taste, not great. Which is why I'll only watch their developmental, quote unquote, developmental brand NXT or you know the upstart AEW wrestling. That's that's kind of my speed. I'm not I'm not really one for watching Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown, and I haven't not been. The same. Pro- it's it's not the same and it's not really been my cup of tea for at least a couple of years now unless it's you know like wrestlemania season or another major show dude it's uh i remember i used to i was really into like wcw back in the day when i was a kid and i loved ray mysterio without the mask like hood ray mysterio he was a man but there was like so much star power then like he was a cruiserweight like he had eddie guerrero who was like a cruiserweight he started as a cruiserweight i believe and went up to light heavyweight he was like the Intercontinental Champion. You had Rod Van Dam. You had Hulk Hogan. You had all. You had some superstars. You know Goldberg. And I just feel like you don't have that. And and these were like superstars. You know what I mean, dude? Like they 
they were transcendent athletes at that time. I just don't feel like you get any of that in the WWE anymore. It's brutal. What do you mean? Goldberg's still wrestling now. Yeah, I know, but he's not Goldberg. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not the same. I, I beg to differ. It? It's actually, it's pretty amazing. Well, he walks to the ring. You're, he's already here. He's already drenched in sweat. Makes it to the ring. He's drenched. He starts off two seconds in. Spear, jackhammer. One, really? two, three. Game over. Is that really what it is, dude? And then he walks out. The one, the, I think the one time he recently had a match with the Undertaker. One of I can't remember which one. One of them got concussed midway through the ten minute match or whatever it was, and right. then the fin- the finish wound up uh, wound up flopping. And then, you know, left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. What is the WWE doing to protect their athletes? I'm pretty sure one of the many hats that the referees wear are, I think they're somewhat medically trained where any match, and and you could see it it happens sometimes on TV too, but especially in these like house shows, anything kind of goes sideways, they'll immediately kind of stop the match and get get the wrestlers taken care of. But what, what hurts me is not being able to go see any of like the NXT touring events or the uh or Evolve wrestling. You know, they would host multiple times a year events in Brooklyn and Queens and you can go get autograph pictures with these up and coming superstars and you know, I'm there bright and early uh waiting in line to get my picture taken. <laughs> I love it. Well, no, we saw, dude. We're living, dude, we're living through the lens of Mike Gallagher. It's amazing. I I spent what was it that week? Three, dude. That one weekend I spent about 20, 20 hours. It was twenty hours plus volunteering at that WrestleMania weekend. But I've I've got a whole stack. Once I once I move out of my room here, uh, I'm gonna put up wherever I go. I'm gonna get all these autographed photos of me and these wrestlers framed, and they'll travel with me wherever I go. I, I think I that's that. that's non negotiable. And anyone who has a problem with that, that's. That's non-negotiable. These uh, the, the this autographed picture of me and Adam Cole is gonna be hanging above my head for a long, long time. I like that. I like that. Yeah, no, it's interesting how uh, wrestling's evolved uh, within the past like twenty, twenty-five years, man. Yeah, well, you you mentioned the cruiser rates in WCW. That's that's exactly what NXT is nowadays. You know, because I luckily Which like better I said, wrestling. Better yeah, wrestling, I, I, ex- exactly. You're, you're, you're more nimble. You're able to do a lot more. And I've met, I've met these guys that, you know, are kind of billed at whatever it is, six foot two, 200 something pounds or six foot 190 pounds. They're my size. And I'll, and I, I know they're my size. I've stood next to these guys. We're, we're roughly, you know, my legs are a little smaller, maybe, but uh, upper body, they've got not much on me and I'm not six foot anywhere close to 200 pounds. And not even that close to six foot. So th- that that'll tell you that these guys that are you know the the cream of the crop at NXT are very relatable to me. So that's kind of what I've been drawn to. And just to think that it's possible for these guys to be sort of the biggest stars of the brand, you know, it's very inspiring and and uh, uplifting for me to see. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I just feel like it's pure wrestling, right? Like I think of the idea of like lucha, you know, the lucha libre wrestling is like it's pure you know it's like these guys are really athletic they're so nimble like you said but there's like real technique in it i was never really like attracted to guys like john cena because i'm like it's it's a personality cult rather than uh it's a cult of personality rather than like the actual wrestling itself and the art of it well how, how can you be attracted to someone you can't see what do you mean 
<laughs> Dude, you're ridiculous. <laughs> I, I was hoping I was hoping you'd get that one. I was like, this is gonna be awkward. That <laughs> yeah, was a good one. No, I liked it. I liked it. One of my back when I was on when I was on TikTok for that hot month at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was posting I think I got up to t- posting two TikToks every day. I made I made one funny John Cena one. You know that there was like one of those Z100 or Morning Zoo prank phone calls to the to the woman about selling a wrestling pay per view, talking about John Cena. It's it's a legendary call. If you no, I'm not familiar it. with it. No, I'm not familiar I'll, with it. I'll have to. I'll send it to you after after we're done here, and you'll Please. you'll really get a kick out of it. I want to pivot back to the CBA. Um, yeah. Do you have any sort of general thoughts? Like, what was running through your mind when you saw this past year the new CBA signed, I believe, for eleven years, and the negotiations between the owners and the players' association kind of played itself out in the media, kind of for everyone to see. What sort of were your thoughts while all that was going on? Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't really think anything of it to be completely honest with you. It's just interesting to me how the league. And the and the owners, they like their proposals are just so ridiculous. Like they, like you're obviously trying to meet at the fifty yard line. You're trying to, and like that's with any deal. But if someone's like in bad faith is starting like all the way on the other side, like they set the precedent, right? So even if you think just the opening proposal itself is just like it's crazy, but I didn't think it was a terrible deal for the NFL, man. I listen, or for for the players. In the end of the day. What was a what was bothering the players, dude? Like, what were some archaic what were some archaic uh, rules that were set in place that needed to be changed? One was marijuana, dude. You know, for players being penalized so severely over marijuana. Glad that we got over that. And I also I think it's giving players more of an opportunity now with the increase in roster size, increase in practice squad rosters as well. I think it was important increase in rookie deals um, on the on the base salaries. You know, I have one client in particular. I mean, he's making his first credited season so he's making 610,000 this year i mean he would have made i think like 485 so there were some there were some good things there that i think did end up helping the players the increase in revenue share i think was was healthy for the players as well and the opportunity for rookies for rookie contracts to increase uh for players who do outplay them i thought was uh was was solid too so i think it was good for the the middle class and the young players in the league um, it might have hurt some guys that were making that were in like the one the one percenters of the NFL, but I think for the greater good for for the entire union, I thought I thought it was a good deal. And as you say that, from from what I've heard the past few weeks, you would think that with the looming decrease, very possible for the salary cap, that these like the top one percent of players wouldn't be getting sort of record breaking money. But the past few weeks, like position after position, it it's people setting new records for all these positions pretty much across the board offense and defense that, that you know the for some reason how are how are teams going to be able to juggle spending all this money for top flight positions and somehow next year it's looking very possible that the cap drops from what like 198 million this year something like that to 175 yeah i mean they, listen they have really smart people in the building they're structuring that accordingly. And I think in the end of the day, they're going to get deals done. And and I think this is just a short-term issue with the NFL. I think I think the salary cap is going to jump eventually too with money coming in. So 
I think, again, it's just, it might be like a one or two year issue, but the league's making a lot of money, man, you know? And, and again, it's just market value. So teams are going to be able to, teams and agents are going to structure deals and find ways to and get deals done and, and still make it beneficial for both sides. So whether that's front loading it now or, you know, using roster bonuses, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think you got to stay away from some of those, like some of the hidden money. But yeah, man, I, I think teams are just going to figure it out. Teams and agents are going to figure it out. One of the things I've written about semi recently, and then I was digging into the CBA, the previous one in, in 2006, and the one signed this year, or whenever it was, 2000, 2011, and this year. I don't know how familiar you are with this clause where any money that's, if you're guaranteed to see this money, that teams on sort of the day it's guaranteed have to put that money in, in escrow. escrow. In yeah. escrow, exactly, which is why. Uh, Mahomes' deal is has all these sort of guarantee mechanisms where really none of that money is guaranteed on day one. It's all it's all sort of rolling guarantees, so the mm-hmm. Chiefs don't have to kind of part with with hundreds of million dollars, you know, as of a I'm couple front. of weeks ago. That that would right. that would have been ridiculous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So again, like teams are going to structure deals, and agents have always loved to have the headline grabbing deals as well. You know, whereas again, like you said, rolling guarantees or contracts aren't fully guaranteed but it just looks like a big deal or there's like you said like you know you have roster bonuses kind of built into the deal so they're, they're going to figure out ways you know and i'm not really concerned over the next couple of years i think the guys are still going to set precedents and continue to get bigger and bigger deals if they're worthy for it you know if the, if the market dictates it then players will get deals that are that are they're mutually beneficial before the team and, and the player himself and I guess another issue is kind of, I guess what I'm getting is that like the general public wants to hear, hey, it's this amount average annual value. It's this amount guaranteed. I I feel like those are the two things that people mostly care about. And similarly, going back to negotiating the CBA, it's people care about, hey, what's the percentage the players get? And maybe what are these other things like changing the like raising the minimum salaries or these other headline things like the marijuana testing maybe revenue from gambling that kind of stuff all the all these headline issues but i feel like there's a lot of concessions i know in the in the past it's it's been the other way but this particular cba 11 years but there's no i don't think on either side there's an opt-out clause where the players or the owners can get out of it like i know the previous not not the one that was signed in in 2011 but the one before in 2006 i'm pretty sure the owners opted out of that one after 5 years because the players had maybe too many things going their way did you feel it was important going into this for the players to be able to get an opt out out of the CBA because yeah i, I don't i don't know exactly how it's going to work with the tv money but say in 3 or 4 years the tv money becomes an unprecedented amount and the players might be locked into getting, you know, maybe X percentage because the forty-eight percent. Yeah, because it's different. Because yeah. then you break you break out that forty-eight, or there's a, there's like a range, whatever it is, like you, between right. forty-seven and forty and a half. But it's three it's three buckets. It's like the league revenue, the media mm-hmm. revenue, and like other or whatever it is. So I, yeah. I I forget which one exactly the TV falls in. But you're you're only getting like a certain percent of percentage of each of the three. media. Exactly. You're not getting 48% of each bucket for the players. It's like maybe like 50% of one, 40% of another, whatever it is. And they're all supposed to average out to to 48%. But what if if there's some sort of 
disparity, like who knows how it's going to shake out with because local revenues, obviously, are going to drop to almost nothing this year because nobody's at the stadiums. So who knows how that's going to impact what players are going to get paid, I guess, because that trickles down to the salary cap and, and benefits. So right. what what happens if there's some sort of unforeseen circumstances where they say, hey, we want out or we want to change this after a two years, three years, four years? I, From my sense is that but, it's going to be the same for 11 years now. Yeah, it is. And I think that's the only issue that I see. Like, you're just locked in on that. You know, I think they had some leverage and they gave up bad leverage, right? To get have a potential opt out by like 2025 or 2026. So they're locked in for the next 10 years. And it honestly did. And that was, that was the fear. I think with a lot of players and agents as well, because when the deal was originally done, I think in 2010 or 2011, 2011, people were bitching for like, you know, for nine years about this deal. So, and, and rightfully so, like there was a lot of things in there that I, I just don't think the, the union did a great job negotiating the previous deal. So, yeah, I mean, that is, it's, it's worrisome, but at this point, it is what it is. Because that's the thing. Like, I, I remember doing a, a project in grad school for, for this. You, you were supposed to model back when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper were free agents in baseball, and you had to sort of come up with a hypothetical team that would offer them a contract and what exactly it would look like. That's the issue we ran into. It's like, say you you offer them an opt-out clause. How do you put a monetary value on something like an opt-out clause or or sort of any of these negotiating points? What's the best way to go about saying, hey, we're going to add a 17th game to the season and we think as as players... That we 17th should be- game is a little troublesome, by the way. That's, that's, I was going to mention that. I was going to say, I feel like that 17th game should have, if you're going to give up that concession, it should have been for receiving something significant in exchange. I don't they know didn't what your get anything out of that. No, and that was the problem. They didn't get anything out of that, dude. You're setting the precedent for next year, right. or adding not next year, in 11 years. Yeah, in 11, I guess 11 years, years from now. Add an yeah, so it's really troublesome. Unless you're adding two bye weeks in the year, then the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, but I mean, football is like a car crash, dude. Every week these guys are going through a car crash. So, I mean, that was, yeah, that, I mean, they gave up on that one and it wasn't, I didn't think it was great. That was the that was the one aspect that like you really look back on that. I think that could be a, a major issue going forward. I mean, we're kind of th- seeing it this early in the year, guys getting hurt. Exactly, and and not that you know, not that I've ever done this, but from what I've heard, it's you stand whatever it is five ten yards away from your garage door and run into it full speed, and that that's the force of a tackle in the NFL. Not something I probably want to do, but I could I could kind of get a good picture in my mind of how much that would hurt. Yeah, it's brutal. You know, it's someone of someone of my frame. I, I'd probably I'd put myself on the IR, or, or the garage door would put me on the IR. <laughs> what else do we want to talk about? All right, as a player agent here, if you can go back to day one of when you made the decision to pursue becoming an agent, and you could tell yourself one piece of advice, what would you think that would be? Don't have any loyalty to to wherever you work. Have loyalty to the players that you represent. If you find yourself not learning anymore, not having a, a great mentor, or, um, having an opportunity to, like, if you have a lot of great ideas and you can't really implement them, then find a way to get out as soon as soon as possible, you know, and then also have the confidence to, to build something on your own. You know, if you have taken the necessary reps and, uh, 
you have the ability to do it, yeah, like it's okay to do it on your own. But you need the resources, you need to be prepared, you need to have experience. So gain that experience first, but you don't need to be loyal anywhere to the organization you work for. You have to be loyal to the people that you're, you're working for. And those are the, those are your clients and your partners, your brand partners, all of them, but really it comes down to your clients. Um, and it's a partnership between the client and the, and the agent. I really believe that as well. So having loyalty there and having their best interests, I think is the most important, is the most important thing you can do as an agent. That sounds like a good set of priorities to have. I hope there's not a lot of overlap here. Or maybe there is. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the question synonymous with the title of the podcast. Within the scope of being an agent, you had, and I, I bet everyone would be clamoring for an extra hour to take care of things related to their job. But say you have this extra hour that all other, all other agents don't, what would be the most beneficial use of that time for you? That's a tough question because I'm building an agency right now, you know? So it's like, there's so much that I have to think about on a day-to-day basis. But I think like in regards to being an, an, an agent, really understanding the different aspects, like learning how to be a CEO, man, learning how to be a CEO. I think too many agents in, at least in our field, are they're very insular in what they do and they're very good at it. But like I said, I don't think it's rocket science and like building those relationships. It happens with time. It happens with the players that you're representing. And uh, But learning how to really develop real value for, for the player, both on and off the field and building a business that can do all those, uh, have all the resources and have structure to it where players, when they come and work with you, um, if, they, if I was fortunate to work with someone who I thought had the ability to play in the National Football League, we have all the resources in-house to be able to help them and really take their business, take their game to the next level. And I guess this is something you've just been mentioning, but what what are you up to now? Is this is this what you've been up to nowadays? Because I, I know it's been a while since we last spoke. Yeah, dude. So I'm starting my own agency. We're, uh, we're doing well. Kevin's doing extremely well. I'm really excited for him. I'm doing some consulting work for a creative agency as well. I'm working with international soccer player, Jonathan David, who's extremely talented. I'm excited to be, I'm very honored to be working with him and honored to be working with Kevin. And we're recruiting now. We're in the the thralls are recruiting and uh yeah i'm excited man the agency is called gray shot and so we're going to be a uh sports contract and creative agency so we're going to be developing content for our guys we have great partners both internally and externally so it's going to be cool man i'm excited if, you know if you ever need someone if if kevin or anyone wants their own squarespace website you know the guy to go to for that design. oh dude 100 percent. if any guy needs a podcast i'm coming to you A huge thank you to Kaveh, and I hope to have him back on at some point. I hope you enjoyed this premiere episode. If so, I would greatly appreciate it if you took the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would help other people find this podcast, help me land some more brilliant guests, and it would also make my day. And I'd like to leave you with this quote from the Tao Te Ching, chapter 63. Difficult things of the world can only be tackled when they are easy. Big things of the world can only be achieved by attending to their small beginnings. Thus, the sage never has to grapple with big things, yet he alone is capable of achieving them. Thank you for listening.